podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All righty, it is that time to get started. All right, this morning, a passage infamous in the New Testament, perhaps the most controversial or uh, difficult to understand for some Christians here in Acts chapter 5, starting at the end of Acts 4. Uh, Just seeing the church in its infancy and all the beautiful ways they're loving one another. And yet the devil wants to take the church down. It's easier to take a redwood tree down when it's a seedling rather than let it mature. And that's what's going on. We're going to see the church in all its beauty and all God's grace and then the struggle within. Father God, we pray that as we consider the life of Ananias and Sapphira, and more importantly, just the beautiful health and well-being of the early church and what made them so filled with your good blessing and grace, we pray that you would help us to understand these insights and put them into practice, God. You want us to imitate what we find in them. Help us to do that in Christ's name. Amen. So as I've been saying, yeah, the Christian church here in Acts chapter 4 is in its toddler phase, if you will. Uh, And it's doing quite well. Surprisingly, it's thriving, growing in faith in love for God and love for one another, and in numbers, not what you might expect given the persecution, um, the corrupt, sourpuss, close-hearted, rebellious leaders and authorities in the religious system there uh, who had envied Jesus and handed him over to be crucified Uh, are now coming after his followers with a vengeance. They issued a mandate, an ordinance, an emergency order, if you will, to cease and desist from the highest court in the land. No more speaking and preaching and teaching in Jesus' name. No more gospel or face serious consequences of loss of freedom or loss of your lives. But God had already given them a heads up They already knew, those who hated me, they're going to hate you. If they rejected me, they're going to reject you. So uh, my disciples must pick up their cross and follow me. What did that mean? It means, well, if you embrace me, you're going to have to also embrace the rejection, the persecution, the shame, the mockery. That's part of the package, as well as eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and the love of God. Uh, There's a lot of perks as well. So the threats didn't silence them as we pick up now in this story. We see them only spurned on to obey God rather than men. And uh, the persecution forced them to their knees and actually backfired on the devil. Uh, They prayed fervently for boldness, not to cave in, to continue to serve the Lord, not to betray him because of the pressure and the threats. And God uh, shook the place up and filled them with zeal and confidence and boldness and joy. And this morning we're going to get a picture of that, 
what a church looks like when God's great grace is upon them, to quote the passage that's coming up here. And so, yeah, this morning we're going to see the results of God's grace on a healthy church, and, uh, and also uh, that we'll know this, the devil hasn't given up. He tried to bring destruction from the outside through persecution and threat and fear and intimidation. That backfired. They're only doing better. Now he's going to try a new strategy instead of destroying them from outside. They're gonna, he's going to try to corrupt them from within. Let's take a look. Verse 32 of chapter 4, picking up where we left off, all the believers now are united, one in heart and one in mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his alone, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, that life, this new life in his name, the gospel, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, and that's saying a lot because there are thousands of them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and trusted the donations to the leaders. That's an idiom there. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Now here's an example of what I'm talking about. He's saying Joseph, who's a Levite from the island of Cyprus, whom the apostle nicknamed Mr. Encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and gave it to the church, donated it to the church. It goes on. Now, someone else got the same idea, but with the wrong motives. And motives count with the Lord, because he looks at our hearts. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, God is gracious, Ananias means, Sapphira is the word for beautiful, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, bro, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? More going on. And you think, we'll talk about it. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You could have done whatever you wanted. What made you think of doing such a thing? You not lied to men, but to God. Now, do the math there theologically. First he said you lied, verse 3, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. God exists in one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three, distinct, they're one, God. What made you think of doing something like that? You're lying to God, that's a serious thing, man. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, boom, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what happened. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, verse 6, then the young men came in from the young adults group. They're always handy. <laughs> <laughs> they are so handy. And wrapped up the body and carried him out and buried him. It goes on. Oh, about three hours later, after she had run some errands, she stopped by the church office. Not knowing what happened, Peter asks her, and there's more to the story. We'll get to it. I'm so tempted to do it right now. <laughs> Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yeah, it is the price. Peter said, beautiful. How could you, or her name, Sapphira, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look the feet of the young adults. 
who buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out too. Now, that's a word of, of knowledge. That's not Peter pronouncing judgment. The judgment's coming from God, and the Holy Spirit's just illuminating Peter to know what's coming. There, I, I think when Ananias fell over and died, I think Peter was uh, the most shocked in the room. At the moment, boom, she falls down and dies. The young man again come in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Once again, we hear the fear of the Lord. And then ending on a more positive note, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in this big building called Solomon's Colonnade. And the only reason the church didn't meet in big buildings is because they got kicked out. Verse 13, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, they did join them but with an attitude of great care after Ananias and Sapphira. So more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Okay, let's talk about this. Yeah, <clears throat> what is this event doing in the New Testament? We'd expect this in the Old Testament, this latter part that involved Ananias and Sapphira. But, you know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And that is true no matter if you live in the Old Testament or the New Testament, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, the wages of sin is death. And so that's one takeaway already there. Now, a lot going on. Let's divide it up into uh, little segments. Note takers number one, well, what do we see here? We see in this church the spirit of love permeating and the fruit, abundant life. And then we also see a spirit of deception attempting to infiltrate. You know, the church is like that. You just don't know who's who. You can't tell. Jesus put it this way. It, the church is kind of like this field that's growing wheat. The enemy comes in and plants a few seeds that look like the wheat, but actually they're poisonous weeds that happen to look exactly like the wheat. And you don't want to go trying to figure out who's who because you're going to get mixed up because there are real believers who act like unbelievers and unbelievers who act like believers. So he says, don't worry. God will make sure in the end he will sort them all out. And so we see the spirit of deception infiltrating or attempting and the fruit there is of death. And so let's dive in and feel the love. Note takers, that's number one. Feeling the love, there was plenty of it. They got saved. They got spared from eternal condemnation. What the Bible calls second death. Of course there's this joy and this whew and this love and gratitude. And so that's what we're feeling here. Verse 32, I'll paraphrase for you. Uh, these early Christians had amazing singleness of mind, singleness of, of thought through and through. None of them were stingy with their stuff. They were extremely generous. 33, the apostles keep preaching the good news even though they told them not to about the resurrection. God's grace was resting heavy on them. 34, Everyone had their needs met. And on occasion, there were those who bl were blessed with property and real estate assets. They sold them. Um, 35, they entrusted the donations to the church leaders to disperse accordingly. 36, a man nicknamed Mr. Encouragement was from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field, for example, and um, he brought the money and gave it to the church. There you have it. So let's talk about a healthy church that has a spirit of love. And it better have love because John, the apostle, says, God is love. So wherever God is, if you claim that God's in your heart by his spirit, there better be love. And if the church has God, who is love, in their midst, it better be loving. Or there's a short circuit, serious short circuit, or, 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 or your Christian proclamation is suspect 
Is it genuine or not? Well, one of the litmus tests is, do you have love for God's people? Love for God's people is proof that you've been born of God. Because if you've been born of God by the Spirit, God becomes your Father, and everyone else born of God is your eternal, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ with the shared experience. Coming out of darkness, tragedy averted, forgiveness of sins, a new life, a new way of living. We share the same persecution, the same enemies, the same joy, the same future. No wonder they're knit together in love and would follow Jesus' commandment he gave at the Last Supper, a new commandment, love one another. Well, that's an old commandment. What's new about it is the extent of the love. As I have loved you, so too you love one another. In other words, for unworthy people, people who don't deserve it, go all the way to the cross for them. That's a new commandment. And they were doing it. And he said, if you do that, everybody's going to know, whoa, what's different about you guys? You got, got, that's a God thing. And that's exactly what's happening with this kind of thing. So that love manifests itself in two things that you see in your paragraph here, unity and this heart of compassion. True believers will strive to keep the peace no matter what. And they will look out for those in need. And by the way, keeping the peace doesn't mean at the expense of error or false teaching or sin or evil. We don't just wash away that and just say, oh, let's just hold hands and sing kumbaya. No, no, no. There are some important things for which to actually divide, right? But what we're talking about here is the common petty things, the 99% things that we think, oh yeah, it's the principle of the matter. And God's like, "Mm, not really. So yeah, unity defined here in your text, one in heart, one in mind, indispensable for any effort that involves more than one party. If you don't have unity, you're doomed. Jesus says, kingdom against kingdom, doomed to destruction. In other words, a marriage that's divided against itself, a family, a business, a church, nothing will take down any organization like disunity and division. And perhaps maybe that's why Satan works so hard uh, to bring that to people. You know, so that's one of Satan's favorite tools to divide and conquer, because when you've been divided, you've been conquered. Uh, Like the Corinthians, that dysfunctional church that will come some years down the road, uh, they are not Jews who are converted like this church. They're pagans who were converted, and they're acting like their old selves when they have to be told, uh, you've got to stop dividing and you have to be united. Now, your text just gives a quick shout out to unity, the importance thereof, cover to cover. It's huge in the Bible, huge in the Old Testament. Behold how good and pleasant it is when the people of God dwell together in unity. And in Proverbs, it says that God hates a divisive person. That's Strong language for the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so to these dysfunctional former pagans who are saved, but really on the precipice of disaster, uh, Paul has to write in 1 Corinthians to them, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, they're saved by the authority of God for God's sake. Live in harmony with each other. Harmony means you have different backgrounds, different opinions, different convictions. Harmonize. Don't divide. Find a way to, 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 to show deference and be other-centered and use tact and diplomacy. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Look at that. They were a mess, those Corinthians. Oy vey, 
Those Corinthians, every chapter, it's nightmare after nightmare after nightmare for reading from a pastor's point of view. Dear God in heaven, spare any pastor from that, first of all. He says, you're divided. You, you, they're divided over which pastor was their favorite on staff. Oh, you like Peter? Oh, I, I like Paul. He preaches so much better than Peter. Peter, you know, remember what Peter did, you know, and that's why we go, and then, no, no, I'm for Apollos, because Apollos was the best speaker of them all. And then the more spiritual ones, which were the worst, would say, you guys follow pastors. I follow Christ. <laughs> so that's just chapter one. That chapter one. Don't get me started on all the other ways they were divided. And, uh, you know, oh, you guys eat pork? Don't you know in the Old Testament you're not supposed to? Yeah, that's the Old Testament. You know, oh, you guys want to worship on Sunday? We want to worship on Saturday, the Sabbath. They're divided about all of this. Hey, you give me my shovel back. So they're divided over their offenses, too. Give me my shovel back. What shovel? I don't know where your shovel is. I loaned you my shovel. You know what? I'm going to take you to court. So they're suing each other uh, and divided. You know, and Paul's like, I beg you for Jesus' sake, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of eternal souls. Eternal souls are watching you, and they're stumbling because of you. You need to work this out. Then he does this wonderful line where he says, don't, don't you guys know you're going to judge the world? You're going to sit on thrones and you can't figure out how to settle things and not divide like this? So he says, no divisions in the church. Be of one mind, united in thought and purpose in the church and its honeymoon with the converted Jews. They're doing it. They are doing it. And so Yes, they have the grace to agree to disagree, to understand this isn't about me. I don't have to have the last word. I don't have to always be right. I don't always have to air my opinion. Well, it's important. What's more important? God in our midst and that the church be healthy or that you are proved right about your deeply held conviction? He says, there's something bigger going on. Remember that. We're called to live in peace and harmony uh, so that we can man the lifeboats. That's more important. What's more important? <laughs> the great tribulation is coming. And God is setting up the world for it. The signs are there. The last seven years of Earth, called the great tribulation, we're at the doorstep. That's more important than you airing your opinion and stumbling somebody and not being sensitive and not caring about the, the health of the church body because you're going to do your thing. Not good. Not good at all. And so failure to do so is going to hinder uh, the work of God. And so, yeah, what about uh, the opinion of the pandemic, about masks, about vaccinations, about the governor. <laughs> Find a way in wisdom to say nothing, to smile, to say, you got to do what you got to do. Let's have a coffee. How can I encourage you? Hey, let's pray together. The bigger issue. Amen. Unity. And so it's not just unity. Uh, this, the, nerd, the preaching that was continuing back in the text uh, was nurtured this over-the-top love. And so let's talk about that. It wasn't a love the world would say, you know, warm fuzzies and all of this. Uh, it was this kind of love in, defined in 1 John chapter 3, so we know what we're talking about. This is how we know what love is, because the world's kind of mixed up about it. You know, a married couple will wake up one morning and one of them says, you know, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. 
Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> this is how we know what love is. It's not a feeling. It's a behavior. It's a duty. It's an act of your will. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need, and you have opportunity and means, but has no compassion, doesn't care, how can the love of God be in you? You might want to do a little quick introspection. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action, deed, practical actions and in truth of what love really is. James is going to say the same kind of thing. James is going to say, oh, come on. Are you really going to see somebody that you have the opportunity to help out with either a warm jacket you see them freezing, and you know they're hungry, and you got the opportunity and the means to do something about it, and you say to them, oh, bro, I'm praying for you. Hang in there. I love you, man. He goes, that's not love. That's not love. He says, you can't love somebody and say, be warmed and be filled. Right? That's the famous line there. So, they're not doing that. They're loving indeed, and let's look at it. So no one claiming their possessions were exclusively their own. That's the idea there. Because if nobody was saying they owned anything and there were no boundaries, that would be chaos and it would be a reason to be abused. right? And so the idea was they weren't tight-fisted about their stuff or their time or their belongings. Their hearts were changed now that Christ came in, and now they see the things that are really valuable in life, how I should really be investing my time. Is it people or stuff? Is it building my kingdom or God's kingdom? And so they've had a repentance. It means change of heart, because something happened. They came in and they think differently now about stuff. Please note with me, Personal property is affirmed and respected in the scriptures. What God has given you is yours. And we know that because the biblical laws affirmed the right to private property and provided means to prosecute against theft of your stuff that belongs to you and not to me. That's why thou shalt not steal tells us that we can have stuff that's ours and not anybody else's. Right? There it is. <laughs> it's your stuff and it's my stuff. But with conversion came... I love what one writer said. He said, when God touches the heartstrings, it in inevitably loosens the purse strings. That's what happens. Now I want to listen and make this about you, the conversation about you because I want to give back to God. I want to say thank you, by, by, but I know it would bless him to bless somebody he loves. And here's a weak, needy believer that he loves, that, that is his child. Now I can say, God, I love you because look at what I'm doing here for this person. Jesus told them, store up your treasure, not just on earth, bro. How about heaven? You don't want to get to heaven and have nothing to show for it. Jesus doesn't want you to get there. I just say, pretty good. You lived, you lived mostly for yourself, but you did honor me, and you did trust me. But it was mostly about you, so you know, there's not a lot of reward. See, salvation's free for everybody. A murderer can repent, truly repent, and find Christ. But reward is earned. By your good stewardship or lack thereof, you either get rewarded and have a place of honor in the coming administration. This is Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Or you don't. And somehow it'll all make sense and we'll all be happy about it. We'll all, uh, whatever we get, first of all, we'll be happy just to be there. Amen. <laughs> and not in another place. But nobody's going to be moping around heaven going, oh, you know, I wish I would have. Yeah, no, none of that. It's just going to be perfect. 
And, uh, but we do have that opportunity. And by the way, when, they, when the scene before you here in Acts, it's not communism. Oh my word. I've heard unbelievers who are kind of mixed up, sorry, and they, they think they know a lot about the Bible. Um, but they'll say, yeah, the early church was into communism. No, communism is what's yours is mine, and I'll take it. <laughs> communism, koinonia, the Greek word, a shared life, was what's mine is yours, and I'll gladly share it. Oh, there's a difference, <laughs> and that's what's going on here. So they have a new attitude. Hey, my house is big. I got a big upper room. You guys want to use it? Jesus, you want to have dinner there sometime? Oh, they are so happy they offered that. Someone offered to Jesus a room where his disciples could meet and have a meal together. Cha-ching. That's all I have to say about that one. You know, they're going to hear about that. Hey, you know, I got a new wagon. I got a horse. I got a mule. You need a vehicle, a tractor, whatever. That's their vehicle and tractor. Uh, my vast wardrobe. You need a jacket, my well-stocked pantry, and my time. It's easy to give someone a stuff. It's harder to spend the afternoon with a needy person and encourage them. But that's what they were doing. They were intoxicated with the love of God. They were crazed over with, I get to go to heaven, I'm a co-heirs co with Christ. All my sins are wiped out, are you kidding me? I'm never going to die. I'm not going to experience the second death. Like Eba Ebenezer Scrooge, he wakes up from the nightmare. I'm not in hell. I totally deserved it. What? I was a dream? I got a second chance? What happens? He reaches into his pockets and coins are going out the window. Coins are going out the window. He's not even dressed yet. He's in his pajamas. He's out the window throwing coins at somebody. Why? He's just, that's what happens. And it's a sign that something happened. Without that, like I said, you might want to uh, look within. Look within, right? And yeah, so let's move a little bit faster. 34 through 37. I do that. It's one of my problems. All right, pray for me. <laughs> you know. 34 through 37 talks about not just the everyday acts of generosity, but the big ticket items. So occasionally, as God put it on people's hearts, every so often... Somebody, a person of means, would say, hey, God's put it on my heart to give an inheritance, a sale of a house, a property, to give it over to the cause of Christ and the gospel. And exhibit A is Barnabas. And what's interesting is it's not just uh, for any reason they mention his, his uh, ancestral roots. He's a Levite. And for a reason... We, he tells us, Levites were not supposed to own property. Uh, the Old Testament law would tell a, a Levitical family, hey, your job is to minister the synagogue in Cyprus, the, the temple in Israel. They'll, they'll supply what you need, but uh, you guys give yourself over to the Lord's work and don't own property. So apparently... They were more like secular Jews, like almost every Jew you meet today. Because I'll meet a Jew, and I'm immediately on them, right? Because I want to talk to them. I'm a Jew, and I want them to know their Messiah. <laughs> and so I'll say something like, uh, you know, in Isaiah 53, they're like, Isaiah, what's that? Who's that? Right? You're a Jew, and you don't know Isaiah? How do, how do Gentiles know their Bibles, their Old Testament, better than a Jew? Because they're secular. So maybe commentators say that they were secular Jews. And they're, after all, they're not in Israel. They're in Cyprus. They speak another language. They speak Hebrew at home, but they speak whatever they spoke. Cyprian? I don't know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so uh, J. Phillips said this, John Phillips, commentator. What law could not do, love did. So 
He's thinking, hey, brother, sisters, whoever's name is on the deed with him, he's like, look, oh, we weren't supposed to have this property anyway. Let's kill two birds with one stone. Let's get things right, you know, and just say, hey, God's in our lives now, and also donate to the church. We could kill two birds with one stone. Fix the misstep, misstep and bless uh, the gospel. And so the donations were entrusted to the God called uh, leaders there in verse uh, 37. Now, the giving happened sometimes publicly in worship, and uh, word got out about Mr. Encouragement's big ticket item. And people were, in all innocence and sweetness of heart, impressed. They were inspired. They admired him. You know, now Jesus cautioned, hey, uh, when you give something, watch out for self-glory because you guys struggle with that and it's poison. So don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing kind of thing. It was like, don't tell people you're fasting. Don't tell people you read 10, Bible, 10 uh, chapters in the Bible this morning. Do it, but you don't, don't tell people that. You know, because this is what gets you into trouble. And it's the slippery slope that started Ananias and Sapphira on the path to being in the presence of the Lord before probably he might have scheduled that um, before this deed. And so, yeah. Um, so uh, word got out. And Ananias and Sapphira are there. And Ananias, probably the husband to the wife, even though she was on board, the husband's thinking, oh, man, look at that praise and adoration and acceptance. And everybody's like, oh, wow, you know, I want that. And our property is three times that size. So if he gets all this adulation for his property, can you imagine Sapphira? Oh, you want to talk stunning act of generosity, sacrificial giving. So commentators say that at this point, there was some kind of declaration to sell the whole property. Hey, I got a resort property on the Dead Sea. It's three times, it's, it's three times that, uh, and we'll give it all to the church. And everybody was like, whoo, wow, oh, praise God. And there was some applause, and he's like, like, a, like drugs to a drug addict. Oh, yeah, I'm somebody, aren't I? Look at me, we're so spiritual. Don't you wish you could be me or be married to me? Wouldn't that... <laughs> it's disgusting, but try studying this for a week, because you will see in your own heart and life how easy and frequently we want self-glory. Oh, it's miserable to be a pastor sometimes <laughs> because you've got to live this out for days, you know? You guys just get, get it for an hour. <laughs> Some of you are squirming, right? And I'm happy that you're squirming. Okay, so listen up. So the happy music of, if it's a movie, you see everybody with bright faces and they're all loving each other and the music is happy and then suddenly the sunshine is fading, the music is changing to darker, suspenseful tones. Bum, bum, bum. And here come Ananias and Sapphira after the big sale. They got the cash. So one, verse one, their names, God is gracious and beautiful. They liquidate the account. Two, the husband holds back a portion for themselves, wife in full knowledge and agreement. They give the leftover to the church. Peter immediately senses the sin and calls him out. Verse three, why'd you let the devil tempt you into lying to the Holy Spirit? Why'd you yield? Verse 4. It was your property, man. You could have done whatever you wanted to do. You could have sold it for 100 grand and, and, and kept 75,000 75, and given 25,000. You know what? You could have sold it and gone on vacation for six months. 
You could have sold it and done whatever you want. You didn't even have to sell it. It was yours. The, the sting of this is what's coming, the pain, the shame, and you reckon the whole scene of love here and grace was unnecessary because you listened to the devil and gave him room to move. You didn't sin against man. You sinned against God. Five, Ananias collapses. They can't find a pulse because he was dead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just worded it weird. And the fear, <laughs> and the fear of the Lord <clears throat> gripped the congregation. And guys from the young adults group was busy. Uh, verse 7, three hours later, beautiful happens by. Peter gives her the opportunity to repent. And know this, you know how gracious God is. So, let's talk. This long of a pause. So tell me. <clears throat> really, did you get... This was the price, the, 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 the amount that you guys gave. You're telling me that this was the full price, that you're giving the whole thing. Is that the truth? Do you see? She had time. She cleared her throat. She probably, her heart quickening, like, what's up? Something's up. Is he on to it? Is he on to it? You know, should I? Or should I defend my husband? Oh, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Yeah, it's the price. You want to see the receipt? It's in the car. <laughs> so it goes on. Yeah, it was. Peter says, you agreed to test God together? Do you think you're going to pull the wool over God's eyes? Boom. She joined her husband in the presence of the Lord. Why? Because they were believers. Of course they were believers. It says all the believers were gathered together. We like to say they weren't believers to kind of make us feel better about reading this, that God would strike believers dead for their what seems to be a minor sin. Not only have we done that kind of thing and do it a lot, we've done way worse. It's a miracle that anybody's here at all. <laughs> Can you imagine if God struck everybody dead for that kind of self-glory? There'd be three people in church. <laughs> and they'd end up dead. <laughs> so just because that's true, uh, that God's grace is big and, and long-suffering, uh, it doesn't change anything about how he feels about sin and how deadly and poisonous all sin is. So let's dive in here. Uh, the spirit of deceit, we're so vulnerable to this kind of thing. Uh, Satan is first named here in the book of Acts. It's not the first time he's been busy. Um, he's behind the persecution, but the persecution failed, and so now we're going to go in, sneak him in there. Because if you can get Ananias on the leadership team, which is quite possible, when leaders don't have discernment, and that kind of hypocrite manipulator is able to pull the wool over a leader's eyes, wouldn't the leader say, hey, we could use a guy like you around here and start giving him leadership responsibilities, and before you know it, she's in charge of the women's ministry, and he's taking guys up to Hume Lake. This is not good, and that's why God, one of the reasons why God is saying zero tolerance here. One commentator said, they picked the wrong time in church history to mess around with God. They did. And another reason why they got struck dead, there's no other church, period. There's only one church in the whole earth. And the success of that will determine how the gospel goes out. There's no plan B. There's no, well, the rock failed, so we'll go to Spring Hills. <laughs> I like Spring Hills. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, that's part of the reason why 
God is guarding this with his life. He can't allow it. He can't allow it. So, yeah. Um, so when it says he kept back part of the proceeds, it's the same word to describe what Achan did back in Joshua 7 when the people of God, who's called the Old Testament congregation of the Lord, and by one man's corruption, Israel, the congregation all but fell apart. And it was at the same sort of thing. In fact, so the word is tied back to bring the Jewish mind back to Achan. Because it was the time Israel's congregation was coming into the promised land to get settled there in Jericho. It was the first incident in the promised land. And there, there's Achan trying to take what didn't belong to him. He, uh, the word means to misappropriate or to steal. The, 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 the plunder was to be dedicated to the temple treasuries. And Achan stole it, and Achan paid for that, and there's a tie back. So it's about timing and the, the fragile state and how the early church was vulnerable and Satan's work, you see. So, yeah, it, we see, see it as a relatively minor thing, but this is a big uh, deal. And so... Yeah, one writer said, so did the flesh reap destruction, whether you're a believer or not believer, an unbeliever. So, yeah, bad cor company corrupts good morals. So uh, these two, what were they after? They want the recognition. Uh, they want to be seen as more generous than they really are. They want people to be in awe of them. Right, and uh, look at the Pharisees, because the Pharisees in Matthew 23... Everything they do is for show. Oh, here's the problem. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scriptures and verses inside. So they're called phylacteries, and the Jews would wear them, and they wear them to this day if you're Orthodox. And the wider the box, the more prayers and scriptures in there. So what they did was, for show, make wider and wider boxes to make sure their box was bigger than the other guy's box because they were praying more than the other guy, right? And they <laughs> have extra long tassels. The tassels also reminded them of how to pray. They were a prayer thing. So the longer the tassel, the more and greater you prayed. So <laughs> they had contests who, who had the longest tassels. They, they weren't praying long. They just wanted people to say, oh, man, look at the man, yeah. One more thing, not in my notes. Surprise! <laughs> they, they were called the bruised and battered Pharisees. And here's what they would do. They'd see a pretty girl. They'd close their eyes. And one guy happened to walk into something and bruised himself on the head. That started a trend. So what they did was bruise themselves on purpose to show like, oh, you know, oy vey, so many young, beautiful girls out there. I just closed my eyes so many times. Boom, you know, you see? So the more bruised you were, the more holier you were. That ought to tell you how stupid <laughs> sin is. They love to be applauded. Oh, they want to sit at the head of the table, the seats of honor. Look at me, look at me. They love to receive respectful greetings, you know. And who doesn't want to be recognized or for a hard uh, challenge or an accomplishment? So it's a slippery slope because I think there's a part where to be recognized for something or thanked or complimented. Oh, oh we got to be so careful. You know, you always just say, thank you and praise the Lord. Thank you and praise the Lord. And just always remember who and what you are without the grace of God. Amen? That should help. And so, yeah, it's a problem, <laughs> this love of attention thing. And so Ananias brings the offering in. Uh, Peter gets a word of knowledge. 1 Corinthians 12, 8, uh, the Holy Spirit says, Peter, he's lying. 
So Peter is offended and stunned, and so he lets him have it. He says, dude, the devil's at work here. Why'd you let him in? In fact, the, the Bible says, look, the, the devil cannot possess a believer, but he can oppress a believer. He can whisper things. He whispers all the time. First of all, you don't even need the whisper. You've got enough with your sin nature to prompt you to do anything, right? So what he does is prompt what you're already <laughs> fixing your heart on, which is wrong. And then he fans the flame. But you know what? Only you can carry it out, and that's the problem. He's saying, why did you give him a foothold, to quote Paul to the Ephesians? Why did you give the enemy who wants to kill you, uh, and uh, you unlock the door? Why would you even uh, hang a welcome sign? That's what you did. How dumb is that? It was unnecessary. You see, there's a scripture that says, submit to God and resist the devil, and he'll flee. But Ananias and Sapphira had it reversed as, as they resisted God and submitted to the devil. It's, uh, and Peter points out, the crazy part is none of this had to happen. None of the pain, the shame uh, to your families, um, all of this. Um, yeah, none of this had to happen. I, met a, uh, I went on a ministry called to Azure Acres. It's a sober living environment. It's a rehab. And the guy's sitting on his bed. He's got a picture of the most beautiful family you ever want to see. And he says, she's leaving me. I can't see the kids. I'm going to jail. And here's the worst part. It was all over. The stupidest thing. Drinking and gambling. And I lost everything. For what? He says he's crying. For what? With this beautiful picture. Peter says to Ananias, you have a beautiful family, a beautiful church. God's been good to you. You're going to heaven and you want to flirt around with the devil you knew. Now, you can't always stop the bird from flying over but you can stop him from building a nest. The thoughts come, the feelings come. It's like, ooh, where did that ugly thing come from? Well, you know where it came from. And you can stop it from building a nest. And so he said, dude, you could have done whatever you want with the property. <laughs> Nothing at all. You know, according to John Calvin, he says, you know how many sins are packed in this relatively minor incident? The sin of pride. Self-exaltation, boasting, arrogance, rebellion, intent to deceive. God, the leaders, and his people. Betrayal of the church trust. Betrayal of marital vows. Love of money, greed, covetousness, hypocrisy, abusing grace, testing the Lord, trampling underfoot the blood which was spilled to redeem his soul. Okay, now we're talking. Okay, now we can understand from whence the thunderbolt came. All right, so in all for what? All for what? A little plus. Stott says it was appropriate the sin be exposed publicly. It's a good general rule that secret sins should be dealt with secretly, private sins privately and only public sins publicly. That's a good word. And so, yeah, you want to avoid what the Bible calls a sin that leads to death. And if you Google, what is the sin that leads to death? Because First John talks about, hey, there's a sin that leads to death for Christians. Like the Corinthians who were getting drunk on the communion wine, Paul said, have you guys noticed that those perpetrators are dying? Have you guys put together, you know, uh, carousing at the home fellowship group and, dr and getting drunk on the communion wine and the guys who are dying? Have you made the connection? <laughs> That's called the sin that leads to death. They don't, they don't go to hell, but they forfeit the privilege of living for God. And the other thing is, is, is that it's a grace and mercy thing for the person. 
He's saying, listen, listen, you're forfeiting reward. And every day you're losing more and more reward and you're doing more and more damage. So let's put you on an earlier flight, call it good. <laughs> That's what I call it. And look at the result, you guys, look at the result. Uh, everybody is, uh, verse 5 says, and great fear seized all. And then uh, verse 11, great fear seized the whole church, again repeated. The fear of the Lord keeps you on the straight and narrow path. you got to have the fear of the Lord. You don't have the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom, so you don't have wisdom. You can't make sense of life without a proper respect and reverence and awe of the God who can speak and the universe <laughs> leaps into existence. You've got to have some kind of fear of Jesus said, don't fear man. Oh, man can kill your body and then what could he do? He says, I'll tell you who to feel, who to fear. Fear the one who can, after they kill the body, can send you to hell. Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 10. Fear him in a good, healthy way. Have the proper respect for God Almighty. You know, my seminary teacher once said, hey, he may be daddy. Papa God, Abba God means daddy. But he's not daddy-o. He's not daddy-o. <laughs> so you've got to be careful with that. And, and here's the deal as we finish up now. Here's the deal about this casual thing. It's only, oh yeah, I said I was going to give the whole thing. Change my mind. What does it matter? Just such a little thing. Such a little thing to disparage my spouse. If I'm to love my enemies, how am I supposed to treat my wife? who I made vows to in front of God, or, my, or the husband. It works both ways. How quickly we're insensitive and rude. And lie, we lie so easily. Pay attention to how often you lie. It's unbelievable, if you're listening. Like a little exaggeration, that's not true. It's not true. It didn't happen that way. Or a half-truth, which is a whole lie. <laughs> right? All of these things we just do. We just do it. I'm under grace. And, and the blessing of Ananias and Sapphira is to stop with the casual sinning and to say, oh, wait a second here. Let's check that envy, that jealousy. Oh, there are Christians who in this room, will not forgive somebody. Jesus said, if you want to be forgiven, sir, you better forgive down to all the way from your heart. If you want mercy, you better show the mercy. But there are Christians that say, whatever, I'm struggling with it, which is an excuse to keep it around. But when you think of Ananias and Sapphira... You're like, oh, i got to let that go. Oh, there it goes, right? Stop it with the holding the grudges. If Jesus said, do you want to go to heaven? Then you better forgive. Yikes. That would, uh, that just, every time I hear that scripture, I'm like, I go through the list. You're off the hook, you're off the hook, you're off the hook, you're off the hook, you're off the hook. I thought I have another one, you're off the hook. So it's a gift. It's a good thing. Uh, last night, I'm like, Barb's like, uh, how did it go with the prep? And I'm like, oh, it's Ananias and Sapphira. And oh, it's such a downer and a bummer. And she's like, not really. Teach us such a good lesson. She goes, you know what my takeaway is? She goes, oh, there you are. <laughs> I'm talking about you <laughs> in a pleasant way. Don't let it go to your head. <laughs> I don't want to lose you. <laughs> she goes, my take, <laughs> my takeaway, I should be struck by lightning a, a million times a week, you know. But uh, she said, you know what I take away? She goes, don't mess with God. It's so simple. Don't mess with God. He's God. Show them the proper respect and live your life accordingly. Let's pray together. 
God, thank you for your love. Thank you for this amazing example of the love and the unity of a healthy church and of our need for the fear of the Lord. Just a beautiful passage. And it just shows how the gospel went out forward. And many people were touched and saved through it all. We thank you. Help us to imitate all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.